Welcome back to Embracing Death. I'm your host, Julia. Join me each week as I have a conversation about mortality, life, and death with someone closest to it. This week, in keeping with the trend of talking about health and death anxiety, I sit down and talk with Ken Goodman, who is a psychotherapist out of California. Ken works with people like me who have health and death anxiety, and he helps us learn how to cope with our inevitable future, the things that keep us up at night. What is that heart rhythm? Why do I have a headache? Why does my back hurt? Do I have multiple sclerosis? Is that cancer? Could it be ALS? If you've ever been stuck inside your own body and worried that every little ache and pain might be just the precursor to something more dangerous, then this episode is for you. And chances are, if this episode isn't for you, there's someone close to you in your life that suffers with health anxiety. Like I said in the past and many times that I thought I just had this intense understanding and intuition that I was going to die from some disease. Turns out it was health anxiety. So let's dive right into this interview with Ken, where we learn all about how he helps people with health and death anxiety cope with their anxieties. Hi, uh, my name is Ken Goodman, and I am a psychotherapist. I am on the board of directors for the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, and I treat anxiety disorders and OCD. I have a specialty in emetophobia, which is the fear of throwing up. I wrote a book on that, and I treat a lot of people with health anxiety, have health anxiety classes, and uh, people who have a fear of death, suffering, cancer, ALS, stroke, heart attack. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, you are the, the type of people, the person, the, the career, the journey that you're on are my favorite type of people. As someone who has an extensive list of anxiety disorders and anxiety-connected concerns and issues, people like you give people like me a chance to live a normal life. So thank you for coming on today. And uh, we'll, we'll chat a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how people like me can use you for a resource and kind of where we can start. So tell me a little bit about how you got into psychotherapy and specifically into health anxiety psychotherapy and people with a fear of vomiting. Well, I have, I graduated from UCLA undergrad and grad and, you know, did the normal route of working with people with all different kinds of disorders um, and then did not really focus on anxiety until later on, maybe 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And I produced an audio course. It's called the Anxiety Solution Series. My intent really was to come up with a, a CD. And this is back in the days where there were CDs, where it was basically the main points of what I was trying to teach people about how to deal with anxiety. But one CD led to two CDs and two CDs led to three CDs and it turned out to be nine CDs. So it's a 12 hour audio course for all types of anxiety, including health anxiety. And I just got more and more into it and more as I learned more, I acquired more clients, patients who experienced anxiety, all types of anxiety, panic disorder and agoraphobia and all types of phobias and OCD. And then how I got into emetophobia, I did a, I had a couple of patients with emetophobia. I did a presentation at the Anxiety and Depression Association of America conference on it twice. And then I just, you know, people, I wrote an article for the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And then I got calls from them and then I did a webinar on the subject and I got more calls from people. And so the more calls I got from prospective clients, the more I got into it. And then there's really no self-help books on the topic. And so I wrote a book on it. 
And from that, I got more, more clients. And then with health anxiety, it was sort of a similar, it's similar, um, although I haven't, I, I'm writing a book on it, so I don't have one out yet. But the, I put out a couple of webinars on health anxiety that um, are, are on YouTube, and it went through the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And I um, just got a lot of people reaching out to me because it's such a common, it's a very, very common disorder that people don't talk about. And so I got so many people that I just started forming health anxiety classes because I couldn't treat them one on one. So I'll have six to eight people in a class. And it actually is very nice because people don't feel alone. They see that, wow, I'm not the only person out there that worries about cancer or stroke. I didn't know what I had was health anxiety. Uh, In 2019, I woke up one day with just this intense like anxiety and knowing that I had like stage four cancer somewhere in my body and it was wreaking havoc and I was going to die. And it's generally that it's, I believe that I have some type of cancer that's going to come to fruition soon and kill me very quickly. And I think it's related to two people that I knew as acquaintances that right before this happened, I saw on Facebook or social media that they were diagnosed with these very aggressive forms of cancer, both of which passed away very suddenly after it was not a very long period of time. And even though I wasn't close with these people, I have no familial history of cancer. I just like knew I was going to have cancer. So I go into therapy and I am talking with my therapist about these intrusive thoughts. And along with the other, you know, mental health conditions that I suffer, one of them is an eating disorder that I was a bulimic or am, I do suffer from bulimia, have since I was 13. So the emetophobia to me is very a strange phobia because that was kind of where my, and I know this isn't related to this podcast, but I think it's very interesting. Um, And so as I was getting therapy for my eating disorder and I was going into recovery and feeling strong that way, it kind of popped up in this other avenue, which is these intrusive thoughts. And I kept thinking, you know, I'm finally getting better with my eating disorder. Why am I, why is it manifesting as something completely different? Maybe I'm not actually helping. Maybe it's just kind of changing the disorder. And so for the last three years, I just kept thinking, you know, maybe I am dying and I just have some sense of awareness. But then over the last one year, I'm learning that it's actually health anxiety, that I'm healthy. I've been to the doctor. I've had the checkups. I've had the blood work. I've had the MRI. I've had the scans, everything done. And I'm healthy. I'm still healthy today. Well, I'm very glad about that. That's good. Yes. But it's still you're I still try to convince me of that. Even though I have the test and the reassurance, I still feel like there's something in there that I don't know. However, I now know that it's related to this anxiety disorder, this health anxiety disorder. And so when I'm having these thoughts, I can say, oh, you're just, you're manifesting these things. Um, So what kind of, like, what, is there specific people that develop health anxiety? Or is there no trend? It just can happen to anyone. Well, anxiety tends to run in families. There's a genetic component to it. It also depends upon your life experiences and there's no there's no specific path but you know one common path is you know you're genetically predisposed to being anxious maybe you don't even have any anxiety growing up and suddenly you know your mom or you're, you're you give birth and now you're a mom and now you're you know in charge of this little life and the pressure is wow what if something happens to me what if i die of cancer and so you know, hormones are going and, and then you learn of someone who was diagnosed with cancer or something 
and the confluence of these events cause you to obsess. And then you get on Google and you start checking your symptoms and one thing leads to another and you can really spin out of control. And once it gets going, it has a life of its own and it's hard to stop without help. What is the most common symptom? I know in my little bitty social media research that cardiophobia or cardi like cardiac heart palpitations are generally the thing that most people believe is a health condition. And it's usually related to anxiety. Ask someone who's had um, a, a halter monitor put on for three days due to actual having PVCs and heart palpitations. Uh, I think a lot, is there a specific symptom or can it be any ache and pain that kind of pushes people over the edge? Yeah, so oftentimes people will come to me either with a very specific fear, like they just feel fear of cancer or heart attack or heart disease or more neurological like ALS or MS or, you know, there might be fear of a stroke. So they come up with something very specific. So then there's people that it jumps around. And if you've had it for, you know, health anxiety for long enough, you'll see that you'll have one particular physical symptom that you're obsessing about, fearful of, and then that'll go away and then another one will come up. And now you're fearful of something else. A little bit like that game, whack-a-mole. You, know, you hit the mole and it pops up somewhere else. Um, and so it, it can vary depending upon who you are. But fear of ALS is common. Sometimes people are fearful of, you know, becoming, having dementia um, later on in life. Sometimes people are fearful of going blind. There's all different types of health related fears. But primarily, it's the it's the cancer, heart attack, and the neurological stuff. Do you think that it's related? <clears throat> it has anything to do with the fact that cancer is like a silent killer until it's not. Same with ALS, right? You could have your your body is gonna create this this disease your whole life, and there's really nothing you can do about it. One, two, it starts before you have symptoms. So by the time it manifests as something real, it's already past the point of prevention or or help so to speak why is it that it's these specific these specific diseases that people fear do you think well all anxiety comes from an intolerance of uncertainty you know you just can't tolerate a given set of uncertain situations and with health anxiety it's just so uncertain like you don't know is something growing inside of me i don't know what's what is that lump i don't know what's that pain i don't know what that, it's uncertain and then if you have a very active imagination, you can create really scary scenarios. And then you can back that up by checking your symptoms over and over and focusing on those physical symptoms and Googling them. And the more you focus on it, the more it grows. So like for you, was your fear cancer? Is that what you're fearful of? We're all different ones. I mean, I think I think I have I also right now it's I think I have MS because I'm extra fatigued and I have a low grade headache and um, what else? Oh, I my muscles have been a little sore, more sore than normal, but it's because I haven't you know, I went back to work and I haven't been working out. I can make I can bring myself to logic, but your my brain still has this. It's kind of whispering like, no, no, it's definitely something more serious. But now that I'm aware of it, but three years ago, I mean, I had cancer. I had a brain tumor. I was going to have a heart attack. I was going to have a stroke. Like every headache was a tumor. Every day I woke up, if my face, like if I slept hard on my face and it was numb, I was like, oh, I had a stroke. Like it was, 
It was mostly cancer, but yeah, it, it definitely can be anything depending on the day. The body is very noisy. It just does weird stuff. And that is just not going to change. The body just does weird things. On top of that, if you have anxiety, the adrenaline that is being produced by your anxiety will cause all sorts of physical symptoms. So not only are you having to deal with your body, which is noisy, but you got to deal with all the physical manifestations of adrenaline. So between those two things, people can be very worried about things that are very transient. In other words, they come and they go. I mean, if you think back over the course of your three years dealing with this stuff, did did you need treatment for any of the physical symptoms that you experienced or did they all just eventually just go away? Oh, no, I didn't need any physical treatment. I, I, I mean, I rushed to the ER and got an MRI of my brain because as someone who's never had headaches before, I developed a migraine. And now I actually have migraines, which I think was related to being exposed to COVID in 2020. Um, you know, they kind of got worse after that. And I also think being in COVID, being in uncertain times with this with this virus that nobody really has any concept of how it spreads or how, how scary it really was, you know, having this all manifest around the same time just gave me like, it was just, it just kept multiplying the issues, but all of my issues went away 100% on their own. And, um, you know, but it's always something new. So I have a, a pain here. It's like, Oh my, or my armpit, you know, I have lymphoma now or breast cancer or, you know, my eye, you know, I get a sty on my eye. I have skin cancer or something like that. But, right. But you can see that all these symptoms you've had over the years, they just went away on your own. You didn't need to go. You didn't get a prescription. You didn't get anything over the counter. So that's just shows you how noisy our body is and how things are just transient. And sometimes things can last an hour. Sometimes they can last a few days or even a few weeks or a few months and then just go away. Mm -hmm. I am. Um... I also think our my body has been noisy its entire life, but the minute I started tuning in directly to it in a very acute, anxious way is when it got louder. Because, you know, I probably had these low-grade low migraines my entire life, but it wasn't until I was afraid of them that I could start feeling them in there in the forefront of my head. They're the first thing I think about. They're the number one concern I have. And I think a lot of people, I do want to talk about what anxiety, like the cortisol and the like mechanism in our brain that kind of, like you were saying, you have this anxiety, which gives your body more stress. Can you talk a little bit about the stress hormones and what they do and what their intended purposes are and why they affect us when we're anxious? Yeah. So adrenaline, cortisol, these are stress hormones, but they're hormones with a purpose. So like adrenaline which is secreted by the adrenal glands. There's two of them and they sit right above the kidneys. They're about three or four inches long. And they're very important. It's a very important hormone because we need it for an emergency. It's called the fight or flight hormone. And it's called that because when it signals, it gives you energy, it gives you, it makes you fast it makes you strong. So you can deal with the emergency. So let's say a fire breaks out in your house, your brain will send signals to the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands will secrete adrenaline. It'll make you fast and strong so you can run from the fire or put it out. So which is why they call it fight or flight hormone. But that same hormone causes all those physical symptoms. So racing heart, tightness in your chest, difficulty breathing, lump in your throat, sweating, headaches, lightheadedness, tingling, shaking, all sorts of abdominal issues, nausea, and just to name a few. 
So all of those are manifest itself physically. Like you're feeling those physical symptoms, but it's not because of anything medical. It's not because of anything that's fatal or even serious that you need attention for. They'll all go away, but they're very easy for the imagination to take that symptom and spin it into something fatal, which is why people end up every day across this country going to an emergency room because they think they're having a heart attack when they're not having a heart attack. They're having a panic attack. But, you know, it feels similar. As a nurse, I've, I've taken care of patients. I'm an ER nurse, so also doesn't help my cause that I see. I see the possibilities of what can happen in those 0.0001% of people. So I see that it's real. Um, but yeah, a lot of people misconstrue anxiety for, you know, real physical manifestations of things. What is it that I'm trying to figure out how I want to word this question how does that happen? Because in the past, our fight or flight was used during fight or flight situations, being chased by a tiger or, you know, chasing an antelope or running away from danger or running away from a, a burning building. But now, why do we have that? Why do we have those things when we're sitting on the couch watching TV? Well, it's not just back in prehistoric days. It's you're an ER nurse. So someone rushes in with a you know, heart issue. You're just you jump into action but you're not focusing on the fact that they might die. You're focusing, okay, what do I need to do now? I'm just focusing on the the dealing with the emergency and I can't run away. It's my job. I got to face this. So it's giving you the necessary um, energy to deal with the emergency as opposed to run away from it. But then why do I have anxiety in an otherwise stress-free environment when I'm driving home from work or I'm sitting on the couch or why do I have anxiety about situations like my health when I am healthy because of uncertainty and because of your active imagination because you've had anxiety your whole life because you're pre- you know genetically predisposed to it your anxious mind needs to focus on something to worry about and oftentimes patients when I work with them they get better and they're not worrying about anything. And then guess what they start worrying about? They start worrying about, okay, when am I going to start worrying again? So their anxious mind is trying to find something to worry about because your brain is wired to worry. I mean, you've been doing it a long time and anything you do repeatedly, you get good at. So you become an expert at worrying. So if you're not worrying, you're worrying about why you're not worrying. (laughs) Right. Or what am I going to worry about next? What's the next thing? And if I'm not worrying, if I'm not being vigilant, then will the cancer get me? If I'm not being aware, like you start worrying about those kind of things. So is there help for people like me? Yes, absolutely. What kind of things can can I do? Where where can my journey start? Obviously, you know, I've been in I was in CBT therapy for years and it hasn't it helps in the moment. It helps short term. But I also live a very transient lifestyle where I'm, I'm moving back and forth. So having one therapist that I can you know, work with or there's times where I don't have access to Internet for weeks on end. I'm, I'm, I like to travel, go out hiking and stuff. What can somebody do or where can they start? I know you have these DVDs, which I'm assuming you ha- offer them as like audio files now, unless people are still interested in CDs, which a little nostalgia for us. Um, what kind of things can they expect from these resources? Yeah, so the uh, audio, it's an audio course and it covers all types of anxiety. So it's particularly helpful for people who 
have, you know, you might have some little bit of social anxiety. You might have a little bit of generalized anxiety. Worry about worry about lots of different things. It includes health anxiety in there, panic disorder. So it's a, a very comprehensive course. Um, and then for health anxiety, I have these classes and I treat people from all over. Like I just did a class right now, all over the United States. There was someone calling from Israel. There was someone in India. So, you know, they're just all over. And if you can, you know, devote eight weeks, you know, there's an opportunity to really learn how uh, to deal with anxiety. It's not, it's not only a CBT perspective that I use. I just use my years of experience and creativity to um, help people really understand what's going on and understand what the strategy of anxiety is like anxiety as a strategy and you need to learn what anxiety strategy is and then you need to learn what your strategy needs to be and so that's what i do in the class is teach you a strategy and it's also in the in the audio course as well but specifically for health anxiety in the class and you said something earlier that really kind of hit home to me and you said that people with anxiety and health anxiety have an intolerance for uncertainty and that is exactly how i would describe what i experience because i'm not comfortable like my partner he's he's even kill like can't be riled up and he doesn't understand me when i everything riles me up and just like I don't understand him, how he can stay calm when we have no idea what the future holds. Is there a mantra or something you can offer people to help them find comfort in that uncertainty or being intolerant of that uncertainty? You know, there's an, another pillar to people with anxiety. So it's intolerance, intolerance of uncertainty and intolerance of distress or discomfort where you can't tolerate that discomfort. You know, so with people with health anxiety, it's okay, this feels uncomfortable. I don't like this feeling. And, you know, we handle all sorts of things that are uncertain and uncomfortable all the time. When you get on a plane, that's uncertain. And when there's turbulence, it might be uncomfortable. But you, you feel like it's certain enough. Like, all right, there is no guarantee this plane is going to land, but I'm certain enough I'll be okay. And so if you can think about your health in that way, like, okay, I don't know what this is, but I'm certain enough I'll be okay. I'm not 100% certain. And if you seek 100% certainty, you get to keep your anxiety disorder. You can't, you can't demand 100% certainty and not have anxiety. So if I needed to be 100% certain before I get on that plane, I'm going to have to you know, ask the pilot if he's been drinking and get his pilot's license and make talk to the mechanics to make sure they did everything they needed to do to make sure this plane is going to be okay and make sure that there's enough fuel well that's just not possible uh, so i'm i'm getting on that plane i'm just going to sit down and just assume that everyone has done their job and i'm just going to accept that all right i'm certain enough it's going to be okay like when i'm driving someplace, i'm certain enough it's going to be okay so you get a get some physical symptom you're like okay i don't know what this is but i'm not going to seek certainty i'm not going to google symptoms because if i'm googling symptoms then i'm seeking 100 percent certainty and that googling will just make it worse 
And I'm going to keep checking because if I keep checking, I'm focusing on it. And if I keep focusing on it, it's just going to make it worse. Like I have patients who, you know, female who has, feels like there's something on her breast and she just keep pressing and checking it and pressing and pressing. And then soon enough, there's like a bruise there. Now it feels even sore. Now like, oh no, what, now see, there, I re- there really is something there. So you can make things worse. So perhaps... You know, the short answer might be, all right, I'm certain enough. I don't know what this is, but I don't need to, I don't need to find out right now. Maybe it'll just go away. Let me give it, let me just give it a week. Let's just give it a week before I react. Yeah. What I tell myself is if I am dying from cancer, I already am dying from cancer. So why stress about it when I only have a few good days left? Like it's a back ended way to find comfort where it's like, if there is something wrong with me, stressing about it isn't going to stop it from happening. So what's the point of stressing over something that's going to happen regardless? Like, and it gives me a little bit of comfort of, is that helpful for me or should I stop doing that? No, if that works for you, that's great. That's particularly true for diseases that have no cure. So like for ALS, for instance, like there, if you're diagnosed with ALS, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do. You know, they just provide comfort for you. Um, There's no treatment for it. And so if you have ALS, it's already been predetermined like you know when you were born it just hasn't surfaced it yet and so it's like well if i get it well that'll that'll be horrible but there's nothing i can do about it so i might as well just go live my life and if it happens it happens for cancer you know there are treatments and people can't overcome it the cancer i have is is terminal so i don't even i don't even think about if i do have cancer it'll be treatable i just assume that the cancer i have will be terminal which is kind of weird because a very small percentage of cancer is terminal. Well, do you have anxiety about going to the doctor or do you go to the doctor a lot or do you sort of fluctuate back and forth? Oh, I go to the doctor quite a Well, what happens is I'll go to the doctor and I'll get all of these confirming tests that I'm healthy. I'll get the mammogram recently. I'm getting an endoscopy, which I do have actually do have GERD from my history of my eating disorder. So that's a legitimate thing, which I know that it's real. So that one doesn't scare me, right? I have no fear about that one because it's been confirmed that it's like not life threatening. Um, I've had MRI, I've had mammogram, I've had a bunch of blood work, I've gone to all different types of doctors. And then after all of that comes back, and it's like, yep, you're still good, then I'll take six months, where I'm like, okay, look, all this stuff said I was fine. And then it gets better. And then it like, whoop, starts coming back. It's like, what, what's the new thing that's happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I go a lot, and then I don't. But there's no fear about going to the doctor. I love the doctor. <laughs> well, some people will, they, they'll avoid going because of two reasons. One, it creates a lot of anxiety. So just going creates anxiety, waiting for tests create anxiety. Oftentimes the doctor says something vague, which causes anxiety. They can't give you hundred percent guarantee. And so all of that is very anxiety provoking. And the last thing a person wants is to experience anxiety. So they'll avoid going because they're just, it's just a very stressful situation. And then they also will avoid, because what if he tells me something horrible? Well, I don't want to go. I don't want to get that news. So sometimes people will avoid going to the doctor and they'll, you know, they, they don't get the annual mammogram and they don't go for annual physicals and, and you know that's not good either you need to find a healthy balance between managing your mental health and managing your physical health so it's not like you never want to go to the doctor it's also you don't want to go to the doctor too much right so trying to find that healthy healthy balance do you think that health anxiety is 
I don't know what the prevalence was 50, 20 years ago. Uh, probably just a lot of undiagnosed health anxiety as mental health is becoming less, quote unquote, taboo in, in the world of healthcare, And it's becoming known as regular health care, just like everything else, which I love. Do you think that health anxiety, the, the prevalence is more because of access to information? Like if you don't know about the, sh- the symptoms of cancer, then you don't you couldn't possibly know you have cancer. Do you think that information, like the resources out there, the the, the info at the click of the Google dot com, is creates an in, more intense version of this? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because so much of what health anxiety is about is little pieces of information, and your active imagination seeking certain things. And if you can Google now, which you couldn't do, let's say back in the eighties, you can Google a symptom. And if you Google a symptom, yeah, you're going to, you know, if let's say you Google headaches, well, you're going to get stuff about headaches, but you're also going to get stuff about brain cancer. And it just gives your imagination so much material to work with. And by 24 hour news cycle and the social media. So there's so many external triggers out there where you know, you see, you're scrolling Facebook and you see that someone came down with ALS and now there's this GoFundMe about your neighbor who has ALS or you know, you're, there's the 24 hour news feed where you see someone who is a, a famous actor and they're younger than you and they just were diagnosed with cancer. And so it's just, there's so much media on it. It gives your active imagination a lot of material. So what's the worst thing somebody who's maybe sitting at home and they're not diagnosed health anxiety and they're, they have a headache, the worst thing they can do, would you say, is to Google their symptoms? Or what's like the top three worst things someone can do to not help themselves in the situation? So Googling your symptoms because you're seeking certainty and you're going to find lots of scary stuff. I mean, if, if you were, if you didn't, like scary movies because they scared you you wouldn't turn on a scary movie you would not you would avoid scary movies but here you're actively putting yourself in a scary situation because of this urgency to you need to know and the the need to know right away causes people to google so you have to really resist that so that's one um, the other is, uh, be, you know, the beha- other behaviors that you do. So checking all the checking behavior, taking your blood pressure, you know, taking your pulse, standing to see if holding out your hands to see if they're shaking, looking in the mirror, comparing your physical symptoms. Like, you know, why is my pupil look bigger? I'm comparing it with the pupils online. I mean, just comparing, uh, you know, so it's, so the, it's the checking behaviors. Yeah, mine right now is palpating my thyroid. This week, it's my thyroid. I don't know why. I'm, I'm assuming I have some type of thyroid cancer, but I, I don't know why. But the more I poke it, the more it hurts, like you were saying with this other patient that you've been working with. And I'm like, oh, now it hurts. I'm like, well, because you've just been prodding at it. And it's a tender area. So don't touch it. So Right, all right. And so you're, you're trying to break this vicious cycle. And you think, okay, wherever you're going to break a cycle, you want to break it at the weakest link where you have at least the, the best opportunity to break it. So your behavior is what you have the most control over as opposed to your thoughts or your noisy body. You can't control that. So let's focus on the part where you 
have the most ability to influence, which is your behavior. All right, well, so I'm going to stop Googling and I stop checking my symptoms. And that's going to be hard. That is not easy. You have to force yourself to do that. But you can do it. People do it all the time. You have to understand that the reason why you're not going to be doing these things because you want to reduce your anxiety. And those behaviors are not only creating anxiety, but they're keeping it going. And so if you want to, if you want to overcome your health anxiety, remember that's the disorder, you know, you have, so at least treat the disorder, you know, you have, as opposed to something that you don't even know you have. So treat the disorder, you know, you have, all right, I need to stop Googling. I need to stop checking my symptoms. And you stop asking my spouse or family members for reassurance, right? So you focus on the behaviors. Um, if you're, if you stopped exercising because you're afraid, well, it's going to cause me a heart attack. Get back to exercising. You can do it slowly. You know, you could start with, you know, five minute walk and just ramp up, just ramp up slowly. So it's really focusing on how uh, your behaviors, the anxious behaviors that you do, either things you do or you don't do because of anxiety. I would start there. Do people with different spiritual beliefs or religious backgrounds, do you find that there are certain like correlations to that? Because I'm a non-religious person. I'm kind of working towards finding more of a spiritual belief structure with this podcast. It's been very eye-opening with hearing how people, their experience has shaped their beliefs. Do you think that there's a specific or like there's more prevalence in people with like lingering or that don't have religious backgrounds or beliefs or spiritual beliefs? Or are you finding that it just kind of it can hit anybody? No, I think it could hit anybody. And sometimes being spiritual or having faith can be helpful. You know, if you if you have a lot of faith and um, that God will protect you and, and give you strength. If something happens or you have faith and if you have faith in the afterlife there's something better than this you know that can give you peace peace of mind um, but it can also have the opposite effect where you feel like well if i if i speak these things i'm putting bad energy out there so if, if i say the word cancer i'm putting bad energy out there and it's going to come back and get me there is a book called I forget it's by Dr. Joe Dispenza and I want to say it's like retraining your brain some some book where this woman I want to hear your take on this because I I think I believe in manifesting bad things just like manifesting good things so like you're saying as someone who says like if I say the word cancer I'm going to get it or if I think I have cancer I'm going to get cancer and in this book which I will quote I will maybe requote with the correct title but it's by dr joe dispenza and this woman is diagnosed with this cancer and all of these chronic illnesses after her husband commits suicide and the the golden ticket is she finds dr joe dispenza and he tells her that it's just she's manifesting all of these things through her grief and she cures herself of cancer she cures these chronic illnesses due to manifestation and you're saying that manifestation of cancer isn't possible what why do you think that so many people think that they can manifest bad things well, I think that if you're diagnosed with cancer, I think by thinking positively and and you know, manifesting hope and focusing on you know doing what you need to do and living your life and having a positive attitude, I think that can be helpful. You can't 
get cancer by saying the word cancer any more than you can by thinking that word cancer. I mean, I have patients who've had health anxiety for 20 years and they're worrying about brain tumors, but they haven't gotten a brain tumor no matter how much they've worried about it. And you can't manifest something by just articulating it. So if I, I can even say, I want to be diagnosed with cancer in the next month. Well, that's not going to make me get cancer just by me saying it. But if you have health anxiety, that is going to be very difficult to say out loud because you're afraid that you're putting something out there. Well, if that's the case, then you should say, I want to find a thousand dollars today. When I'm walking down the street, I want to find a wall with a thousand dollars in it. And people can say other things. Like I have a client, like I'll say to them, okay, we'll say this. In the next five minutes, there's going to be a major earthquake in my town. The next five minutes. I don't know where, where you are, but I'm in Los Angeles. So there could be an earthquake here. So I'm going to say in the next five minutes, there's going to be a gigantic earthquake in Los Angeles. So let's see what happens. Will that happen? I don't know. Let's see. It's uncertain. We don't know. But even if it does happen, it's not because I said it. If I can't manifest winning the Powerball last night, then I can't manifest cancer. I now understand that. Right. You can, I take patients in an elevator, an old elevator, and say, okay, let's try to make this elevator stop as we're going up and down. Let's see if we can make it happen. Let's try to get stuck. No matter how much we try, we can't get it to stop. Well, good to know, because I, I also feel that like anxiety is not good for your health. And there, I have no no clinical research to back this up. But I do think that like the cortisol, the adrenaline, I mean, those hor those stress hormones, if your body is constantly secreting them, they do put stress on your physical body. Um, so like, instead of, you know, manifesting the cancer, what I'm going to manifest is some type of stress on my body from the anxiety. But like you're saying, that's the one thing that I know that I have. So why shouldn't I be focusing on getting rid of the one thing that could be, it may be damaging to my body, which I'm not sure is there is there research of whether or not anxiety causes physical stress on the body? So it definitely causes physical stress on the body, but it can't kill you. So yes, it can cause ulcers. It can cause your blood pressure to rise in certain situations when you're feeling anxious. It can cause GERD, right? It can cause um, irritable bowel syndrome. So it can cause, it takes a physical toll on the body, but it's not anything that will cause you to have a heart attack, let's say. So anxiety or even a panic attack won't cause someone to have a heart attack. The heart is a very, very strong muscle, able to withstand an, an immense amount of pressure. I've had people, I've been treating anxiety for a long time, and you would think there'd be someone who's had a heart attack because they're having panic attacks you know, major panic attacks and nothing happens. So there's only, the only way to, you know, for a heart attack to happen is if there's actually some damage to the heart, there's something wrong with the heart. If there's something wrong with the heart and then you have a panic attack, well, maybe, but there has to be something wrong with the heart to begin with. So, yeah. So I think that although it can cause physical ailments, it's nothing that will cause anything that's fatal. That is very relieving because I keep thinking that I'm going to kill myself like accidentally because I can't get rid of my anxiety. So that's good to know that I might just get an ulcer. <laughs> Even things like lightheadedness or dizziness, you know, the people are afraid, what if I pass out? Now, it's possible that you could pass out if you're anxiety, but 
I've never had a patient that has passed out from anxiety. They can get lightheaded. You know, it's just incredibly rare. It's incredibly rare. It's incredibly rare to throw up from anxiety, but it can happen. You can, it's nausea is common. You know? So people get these physical symptoms, but thankfully they're not dangerous. They're just very unpleasant and upsetting. That's very reassuring and makes me feel a little bit more comforted to know that, you know, just because I can't get a handle on my anxiety, it's not causing me like a legitimate a legitimate amount of harm that I, you know, could have some type of long lasting uh, medical issue or like, you know, heart attack or anything like that. So that's good to know that I can't die from my anxiety, even though sometimes it feels like I'm going to. <laughs> right. It's a very common experience. If you're having a panic attack, one of the symptoms is you it feels like you're dying, you know, or you're going crazy. But thankfully, people will think, oh, the stress is going to kill me. But yeah, I mean, the stress is not great for your body, but it's not it's not going to kill you. It'll make you lose your appetite. Maybe you don't sleep well. <laughs> Maybe you have to go to the bathroom a lot. Um, yeah. So that's the good news. It's, it's, it's nothing that's going to cause anything fatal from happening, but it could lead to things like you, maybe you start drinking because of it. And then because of the excess drinking it causes liver damage. So it can lead to the things like that, but in and of itself, you're okay. Awesome. So it sounds like you have a very logical mind. You've been doing this for a very long time. How has what you do affected or reinforced or challenged your views on mortality? Like what your beliefs are if you're comfortable, you don't have to share, but has it affected your beliefs or what you what you think about when you think about mortality? I don't think it's affected my beliefs, but you know, it's a very logical, uh, very logical. It's just, you know, people are born and they have a life. And most people live a long life and then they die. And, you know, unfortunately, some people die too early. Some people struggle with health issues. I have family members who struggle with terrible health issues. Uh, but those are rare. You know, most people live, you know, a pretty long life. Sometimes it's cut short. And then when you die, you know, you're dead. <laughs> you know, and you know, but you know, we we, uh, we don't know what happens after you, you die. We just don't know. Now, is there an afterlife? What happened? No one knows. So if you, whatever you believe, if you believe there's something better after, fantastic. I'm, I cannot refute that because right? we don't know. So if that's what you want to believe, that is fabulous. I support that. Yeah. I also think with health anxiety is the uncertainty of a lot of people fear death because of the uncertainty. So they develop this anxiety about ailments that could lead to their death, which is another form of uncertainty. So that's where mine came from is that I'm afraid of de death because of we don't know what happens. We don't know if anything happens. So that led me to being afraid of anything that could cause me to die earlier than, you know, 85 or whatever, whatever age I'm going to die at. Um, and that's where my anxiety really manifested from was that fear of the actual not knowing about death, like the ailment is whatever, but that could lead to me dying sooner rather than later. And that's where my fear is that what's going to happen after you die. Yeah. And so I'm afraid to die. I'm afraid to die early because I want to live as long as I can. 
in a healthy manner. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, well, listen, you've, you know, maybe you've created a story of what's going to happen after you die, and we honestly don't know. And so there's no point in focusing on that. When I'm alive <laughs> and healthy. Right? Yeah, I mean, people with health anxiety are so worried about death, they can't even enjoy life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Right, and the goal is to is to live a good, happy life. And if you're so preoccupied with death, then it's hard to enjoy life. That's what I tell my partner is like, I'm so focused on the dying part that I'm like not, I'm missing the living part. And so that's why this journey has led me um, on such a great path to finding resources and understanding and and just knowing that, you know, there is help. And I'm not alone. I thought I was the only person in the world that had, like, I thought I knew when I, that I was going to die soon. So I thought I had this, like, psychic ability when in reality, I just have health anxiety with millions of other people. Mm hmm Yeah. And there's a, you know, you're going to have to, at some point, like, okay, I just have to accept that I'm going to die at some point. I just have to accept it. But then not focus on it. Like, okay, someday I'm going to die. There's nothing I can do about it. I just have to accept it. I don't know when it's going to happen, but let's just focus on living life. And I would say the goal is to live life, not to be comfortable or certain. The goal is to live your life. It's not to be comfortable or certain. I love that. And so speaking of um, nice little tidbits, do you have a quote or a mantra you would like to leave the listener off with today? I think that would probably be the best one. The goal is to live your life. It's not to be comfortable or certain. So Focus on living your life, not seeking comfort or certainty. So when you Google, you're seeking certainty. You know, when you're feeling a physical symptom, there's an urgent desperation to get rid of it. You're seeking comfort. You know, like you want to, and you know, you said your husband doesn't have this. My guess is if he gets some physical issue or pain, he just like okay, sees it, acknowledges it, and okay, let's just keep going. I just keep doing my day and not focus on it. And, you know, if it persists, if it gets worse, I'll go to the doctor. And, you know, mostly likely it'll just eventually go away. But I'm going to just focus on what I need to do. You know, probably like when you're an ER nurse, you, should, you know, if you go to work and you're having some physical issue, and then people are coming in, you're probably focusing on them. You're not focusing on your physical issue, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that true? Absolutely. <laughs> right. And so when you're focusing on them, now you're not even aware of any, you're having these physical issues because now your attention is on the task at hand. It's not on you. And then, then in, on those quiet moments when there's nothing happening, now you're refocusing on your physical symptoms again, wondering, what is that? Why do I have that? When is this going to go away? What if it gets worse? Yeah. Well, Ken, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Um, I definitely going to continue on my journey and hopefully finding. Um, I'm going to definitely follow up and just I've been kind of going through your site and everything, um, just looking for, you know, the things that maybe, you know, I think could help me and getting back into therapy. I'm a veteran, so I have to go through the VA, which is a very long nightmare all in itself. But if people would like to find your resources or connect with you in some way, where can they do that? So two websites. One is KenGoodmanTherapy.com and the other one is Quiet mindsolutions.com quietmindsolutions.com and they both have very similar 
material. The one from my practice is uh, more about what I do for my private practice. And the anxiety, um, the quiet mind solutions is more about the, is about self-help material. Some of the, some of the material on that website is free. There's webinars. There's two webinars on health anxiety, actually, that are free. There's other webinars, there's articles, and then there's things that people can purchase. Absolutely. And I will link all of those websites and resources in the show notes so people can click directly from Spotify or wherever they're listening. Um, but once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been very, very helpful and comforting. <laughs> right. I'm glad. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you.